Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. This week, we climb the tree of love. Yes, relationships and intimacy, both physical and emotional. And I'm joined by an exciting guest. I absolutely loved meeting our next guest. And she has spent decades helping couples re-spark love, compassion and friendship into their relationships. And not just uh, physical intimacy, which we do a deep dive into and it was an absolute eye-opener i assure you this is going to become for the couples that are listening out there this is going to become one of our most popular podcasts in 2020 and uh, she is australia's most sought after therapist she has 20 years experience specifically in couples counseling and individual psychotherapy She's uh, also a clinical member of the Australian College of Relationship Counselors and PECFA, College Psychotherapy. Now, over the years, Melissa has helped thousands of individuals and couples. Now, if you don't know who she is, just Google her name and you'll know exactly who she's appeared on television uh, on many, many TV shows. And uh, in this particular episode, we discuss how COVID-19 has impacted relationships. We also talk about the different attachment styles that people bring into the relationship and now this was an eye-opener for me and I share a lot of my personal insights and I actually expose I'm a bit of an open book for this for the for the purposes of um, this podcast I share a lot of my personal challenges in this space we also talk about how to stop families meddling into your relationship which is a big big problem and this is one that through her experience has been one of the biggest problems why couples break up we also talk about why people cheat in a relationship. And, uh, you know, in this episode, you're going to gain insight into other relationship problems, how to resolve ongoing conflict, how to recreate sexual connection, and, you know, overall, how to develop a loving relationship in a time where relationships are being bombarded by so many challenges. You know, kids at school, finances, jobs, now working from home you know, the, the pandemic, the threat of losing a job. There's just, there's seriously so much where couples are under so much external influences that it's a wonder. You know, most people look at the divorce rates and say, wow, isn't that terrible? You know, one in two people end up in divorce. And I say, you know what? There's one in two people, one in two couples that stick together, notwithstanding all the stuff that's going on in the world. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of person. And by the end of this podcast, uh, when it comes to the tree of love, the glass becomes filled all the way to the top. So I absolutely loved recording this podcast and meeting Melissa for the first time. And I hope that her comments and insights spark conversation in your household, but more importantly, bring you closer together. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my talk with Melissa. And on that note, uh, Melissa Ferrari, welcome to a higher branch community. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, Melissa, you are a, a, much, a most sought after therapist, one of Australia's most sought after therapists in Australia. And the more we uh, looked into your bio and what you do, you've you know, appeared regularly on Channel 9's Today Show, Today Extra, Studio 10, and you have over 20 years experience in couples counseling and individual psychotherapy but today 
I want to do a deep dive into uh, relationships or what we call at a higher branch, the tree of love, which represents, you know, couplehood. And um, now in our framework, we have the eight areas of life that fill fundamental human needs. So our health fills a fundamental human need for energy. Uh, family fills a fundamental human need for uh, unconditional love and support. Work fills fundamental human need for fulfillment, friendship for belonging, learning for growth, wealth for freedom and charity for contribution. But when it comes to the tree of love, it fills a fundamental human need for physical and emotional intimacy. And I do believe deep down that for people that are listening, that the tree of love isn't one of those areas that you can ignore, whether you're in or out of a relationship. And uh, so I want you to listen really carefully if you are in a relationship and if you're single considering going into a relationship, well, how beautiful is that? Because you have a clean slate to start from a blank canvas and what you're going to learn from Melissa today will help you build an incredible relationship. So on that note, I want to start with the question, Melissa, of what is happening to relationships during this COVID-19 pandemic? Now, I know it's a bit of a cliche question because a lot of people are talking about it, but I want to do a deep dive into what's really happening with relationships when it comes to conflict, when it comes to cheating. Now, I know there's physical distancing and there's less physical cheating, but I want to talk about what constitutes cheating, Mm -hmm. virtual cheating, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to talk uh, about also just uh, recreating that sexual connection. Uh, You know, when you see so much of a person, how can you maintain and develop that intimacy, that loving relationship and a whole heap of other stuff we're going to talk about. And there's a lot of stuff here for the men as well. This isn't just uh, female focused. Uh, We want to talk about the seven year itch. Is it a real thing? Is it shorter now? Why do people cheat? And tips on making a relationship stronger. But uh, first, if we can just start with um, just your insight into the relationship challenges uh, during this COVID-19. And what are your clients going through? Well, there's... There's a number of things happening, and um, but 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 there's there's the really good stuff and there's the not so good stuff, and it depends on how how you look at it. But what I'm noticing showing up is there's a lot of reevaluation for for couples. It seems that the the shutdown and how our worlds have been made so much smaller is causing people to focus in more on their relationships. Now that creates two things. One, some people decide we don't want to be together and actually do break up. And the other is that people do learn how to connect better and remember the joy of connection. When we're in a really busy world and we're all on on the go all the time, I think what happens is that that experience of connection or being um, one-on-one, being, you know, the couple can start to fall away too much. And that happens for many reasons. And and the main one is because of stress. When we're doing too much, we don't focus on our relationship enough. So the wonderful thing about this is that it's caused for people the opportunity to actually connect a a whole lot more. So I've had people coming to me more saying, um, we've really realized that we've stopped connecting in the way we'd like to. And we're starting to remember that it's really worth it because it feels good. 
it feels good. It helps us be healthier. It, it helps the nervous system stay more relaxed. It, it helps us to not feel so stressed when we're connecting well with our partner. And it also shores us up with enough resources to go out in the world and create whatever, whatever we want. Because the energy is not going into trying to fix a relationship at home all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so there's the people that have decided to work on it and improve and they've come to see me and they are usually, you know, shorter, a shorter amount of time that I need to spend with them. And then there's other people who really want to look closely at their relationship and say, actually, when we're up close for too long, we really don't like each other much at all. <laughs> and and decide that it's time to part ways. Yes, yes. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. And I think what we do is be in busyness if people aren't happy in their relationship because it's one of the hardest things in the world to deal with. We just don't yes. deal. People just don't deal with it. It's like I'm too busy to even think about that. But what COVID has done is, may, as I said, focus people more in on what is important. So it's, it's been a positive then. It's a, because one, it's either brought people closer together yep. uh, or two, brought the relationship to a head. And, yep. Yep. And, and I think that both those things are really good because naturally as humans, we will, we will avoid the tough stuff, you know. We, we like to go for the stuff that feels good. It's natural human nature. And, yes. um, and this, is, this is a little bit different because it's like, okay, I actually am not just going to go with what feels good anymore because I'm thinking more about longevity. I'm thinking more about long-term. And so I really want to look at my own happiness and what a great time to do it. But there's cautions on that as well. And right, so it's a stressful that, time. Absolutely. So for people yeah. that are thinking, well, do I want to stay in this relationship? Is it broke? Uh, can it be fixed? I just want to point out that um, people in happy relationships actually live longer and much more effective at work, uh, usually have more money. In fact, they're a lot more successful. So seeking out or maintaining a great relationship, yes, it takes effort, but doesn't your studies, doesn't your work, your friendships, what doesn't take effort? But People tend to, you know, leave a, a sprinkle of energy at the end of the day to probably one of the most important absolutely. areas of their life. Hmm. Uh, so I absolutely love what. And, you and said what's there. great is Harvard University actually done a seventy-year study on on happiness, and they were able to track people for seventy years, which is an amazing study. And what came of that was that what people were most happy, um, what made them most happy, was their relationships. And yes. It's true because it really does kind of shore us up in a way that says, you know, I can go out into the world and I can create and I can be whoever I need to be and, and um, want to be, but I have to put the investment in the relationship first. That, that really needs to come first. Yes. And if a couple doesn't agree it comes first, they better agree on what does come first. If it is work or it is kids, they must be in agreement of that. Okay, I love what you just mentioned that because we were Bianca and I were having this conversation earlier, and I'm glad you mentioned kids and what works for them because we were talking about like I know some couples who have two kids, and I know couples that actually don't sleep together. One sleeps with one kid, and the other one sleeps with the other, but they're okay with that, hmm. and their relationship's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and yeah. But other I know other couples that oh god, if we're not having sex, you know 
three or four times a week, there's something wrong with our relationship and I better go see a therapist and <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. I think everyone should see a couple's therapist like they would their PT. You don't wait for things to break before you need the skill set. You need the training. So yeah, and we don't pay enough attention. And I know, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm ever asked as a couple therapy, a therapist, what's the one thing that causes a lot of relationship issues and people say, yes. think I'm going to say money or mess or sex or kids, it's actually that we stop paying attention. That, that's it. Just stop paying attention. We stop paying attention. We stop okay, paying <laughs> Let's define paying attention and or give me some examples of paying attention. Is it greetings and goodbyes? Is it yes. noticing what they wear? Is it what what some of the examples? It's actually being able to be an expert on your partner. You know, we are experts in so many of our areas that, that, you know, we do, we're well and truly competent in, but a lot of us don't really know our partner. And there's an interesting process that happens with that is when we meet in the beginning, there's all those wonderful love hormones that go through the body that just feel yes. so amazing. And that's why people want to <laughs> chase it. And, yes. and that kind of props us up in the beginning of the relationship for quite some time. So we don't have to work hard because naturally we feel like we're ending each other's um, sentences and there's love and there's romance and there's, you know, sex. And it all, it's a, it's a, a quite a lovely cocktail. I personally think it can be a dangerous one too because what happens is once the pair bonding has happened and you've yes. become a couple, the hormones, as we know, aren't so strong. And that's because what we've done, we've automated our partner. The brain's gone, ah, I know, I know who you are. I don't yes. have to try hard anymore because I know what, what to expect. And so then what, what happens is couples forget to recreate the hormones to recreate that cocktail and and you can do that by the simple acts of paying more attention gazing gazing into each other's eyes on a regular basis and what that does is it excites the nervous system and we get to know our partner in a new way because the brain loves novelty and what happens in relationship when we've been with someone for a long time, they're less novel, they're less new. So the idea of gazing and being present with each other is that 10 years into the relationship, you actually start to discover new things. I love and it's that. very, very powerful. You know what? We could just stop the podcast right, <laughs> right there because that is a huge takeaway. Absolutely love it, Melissa. That's, uh, I haven't heard that before. So yeah. that's a really good technique and skill. Just and if you've ever if you've ever done it and you've actually really sat and gazed into your partner's eyes, you learn so many wonderful things about them. And one of the most important ones is the eyes never change. That's right, yeah. Unless they have damage, unless something damaging happens. But the actual eyes will always be the same eyes that you fell in love with in the beginning there might be wrinkles there might be dark circles but that's yes. all around the eye so when you're actually looking at each other you're able to connect with the eyes that you fell in love with because they don't change oh wow it's really really powerful stuff and that that is so true you're absolutely right because uh, the eyes don't change and you know they're a window to the soul and you're in essence you're in so a I world you're in a world 
because I actually thought you were going to say that you can never recreate that uh, initial cocktail of chemicals. And, and that's not a bad thing because that's the comfort zone. It means you know each other really well. But you're saying you can actually ignite those chemicals yeah. through that one technique. And, and, as, yeah. and as humans, we don't like it. We don't like not being able to recreate it. We want to feel excited. It's just natural. And yeah. so um, being able to recreate it and also not only the eyes but touch. Touch is very, very powerful as well. When, when we do touch our partner, even if it's just walking past in the, in the hallway at home, I always encourage couples, you know, to connect, even if it's, hey, how are you going? Checking in. Are we all, we all good? Because distance for too long and not being in the presence of each other for too long leaves us too long to our own mind. Yes. And when we stay in our own mind for too long, if we've had a fight with our partner or things aren't going so well, we start to make up stories because the brain goes to the negative, the negative bias. So we start to make up stories about our partner and often they're not good. Whereas if you're in the presence of each other and you're able to see in real time, yes. you're able to remain more <laughs> empathic because this is the person that I love. Wow. That's, yeah, it's beautiful. So what you've mentioned there is proximity frequency and intensity the intensity being the touch and the gazing absolutely uh, so, very yeah. very powerful and because because we will, people will leave relationships because it doesn't feel the same as it did in the beginning it's everybody's biggest mantra you know i'm not in love anymore and love is a verb you have to do it you don't i love that because that is bs yeah. isn't it when yeah. people say that yeah, it is total BS. Yep. It is, it is, because you know, you chose each other for a reason. There was attraction there. And and you also though do tend to choose a partner that will raise your issues from your own yeah. family of origin. And that's why we get into trouble. And that's really when people do seek a therapist as well. Okay, so let's get on to the topic of conflict, because it's inevitable yep. in a relationship. When when should people just ignore some conflict, deal with some conflict, and thirdly, see a therapist about conflict that they just can't resolve? Okay. Well, I, I think it, it's it's conf ignoring conflict or becoming conflict avoidant as a couple. You know, if I have a couple come into my office and say, we've been together 30 years and never had a fight, yes. I'm getting a little suspicious. I'm thinking, hmm, what's, how, how, how does this couple deal with things? Yeah. And so conflict avoidance, interestingly enough, can become dangerous to our partner. And what I mean by dangerous is it sets off the amygdala, you know, that fight-flight response. So um, with conflict avoidant, we actually can become dangerous to our partner, meaning it doesn't feel safe. It's causing that part of the brain, the amygdala, to go into fight-flight response because avoiding our partner means we don't know what's going on with each other. And that generally doesn't feel safe because if we're not sharing, if we're not communicating, if we're not occasionally in conflict yes. and we don't know what's going on, that can usually cause people to end up living in separate rooms of the house either end of the house, you know, because it's just kind of going away from each other 
rather than together. So conflict avoidance is something that is quite serious and can be as serious of, of even being in an, uh, a relationship where you argue a lot. Okay, so let me challenge that a little bit from a sure. male's perspective because there are some men, they dread the words, we need to sit and talk. <laughs> because some men will just think, well, okay, we've had a disagreement. It's no big deal. We don't need to talk about it. Let's just move on. Can yep. you overanalyze or overdo, you know, relationships? Can, you know, like, can, can you, do you need to just chill out sometimes and take a lighthearted look at things and not uh, view every piece of conflict as a drama? No, I, I, think, I think you're raising a really good point because otherwise, you know, it, it would just go on forever and ever and someone's avoiding, someone wants to talk and that, that yeah, can create yeah. all kinds of problems. One key thing is if your partner is distressed, you will soon follow. Okay. Because you're a couple. Yes. Now, you can avoid you can confront, but either way, if your partner's not happy and they have a grievance or they have something they need to talk about, it is a good idea to fix it. Okay, so the test it's a is, system. It's a system. Yeah, so the test is both if you have to feel lighthearted about it. Exactly. If one of you is distressed, then eventually it's going to catch up with you, which is a very good point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it does so, catch up, unfortunately. Okay, so then the second category is, okay, there is conflict. When should people try and deal with that conflict together and what are the tools they need to uh, resolve that conflict? Uh, and is there a time where they just say, well, we can't resolve this together. We need to go see a therapist. When, when, do, when is that trigger? Okay, so, so I guess in, in what, some of the things that I'm suggesting today, it's kind of like, I never want to sound authoritarian and telling people what to do, you know. Sure. What yep. I'm giving here is some key understandings around how the brain and love works. But, but in relation to your, your question around conflict, the idea of conflict is to try and help each other stay regulated in your nervous systems, being able to not create that fight-flight response where the, the amygdala goes into what we call hyperarousal, or hypoarousal in the nervous system. Mm -hmm. As soon as someone's going up and maybe some, both are going up into that, you know, red face, angry, yelling, that's what we call hyperarousal. Hypoarousal is language like, oh, I've given up. I don't care. More flat, more, more pale face, right? The idea is that when you're arguing is to have a, what we call the window of tolerance, where we are somewhere in the middle. We're not in the extremes. So part right. of our job, if we're going to have an argument, is to help bring our partner back to the window of tolerance. If one of them are getting ang really, really angry, say, you know, hey, sweetheart, I'm seeing you getting really angry. I'm doing something that's probably yeah. causing that. What is it? And to bring them back, and then you can have it out. So that's one thing. Face to face again. In conflict, it's not good to argue in the car, sideways glances. The brain will pick that up as a threat, interestingly enough. Ah, wow. That's a very powerful uh, tip because that's when a lot of people argue. They do. They do. And sideways glances means we're going to elevate the problem because we're not seeing all the nuances 
when you're face to face you can you can see oh that hurt them oh that they didn't hear me say that correctly yes maybe i need to pay more attention to my voice my tone my facial expressions you know if i'm sitting there yelling at my partner with the uh, bug eyes that's pretty scary yes Yes, and when is, you're yeah. when you're looking at your partner, it's it, it it will register. Gee, maybe I'm sounding a little bit scary, especially if they start doing this, backing away. And but if you're in another room, you're in the kitchen, and one's in the lounge room, and you're not seeing each other, you're not going to see that. Yeah, very so very good point. Face to face in conflict always. Now some people say, ah, oh, it's too hard and all of that this is where the investment is in yes. your relationship is when it feels too hard to remember your partner remember you're needing to create safety and security putting out the white flag but why do you do it you don't only do it just to make your partner happy you're doing it for the system you're doing it for the two of you there's two people in the system this is not a one person system there's two people in the system and sometimes we, I, we say, I've got to pay to play. Okay. What does that mean? If you don't, well, you've got to do stuff. <laughs> you've got to do stuff that you think you can't. Okay. <laughs> when, when I'm angry with my partner, I don't want to make up. It's like, okay, but what's that going to cost you? That's going to cost you potentially. You're going to go to work for the next three days. You're going to be underproductive potentially. Yes. Your colleagues are going to be, hey, what's up with you? You know? Whereas if you can learn to fix it, put out the white flag, decide to go face to face and, and remember that what you're doing is to not create a bad memory because it's bad memories too often, too many times that will cause people to start to not want to be together. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. You know, in my early years, I did uh, family law. Uh, early years as a lawyer, I practiced family law for two years. And that was, uh, you just reminded me, that was one of the things that uh, one of my clients said to me. And because uh, I said to her, are you sure you want to leave your husband and two kids? And, and she said, Sam, there's just too many bad memories. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. 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 And they, drone out, they yeah. drown out the good memories. And the idea is through gaze, through touch, through the greetings you mentioned, through the, through the heartfelt goodbyes, through the reconnecting before going to sleep, they're all creating positive memories, in, you know, somatically and in the brain. And we can more draw on that in the rough times. It's kind of like they're a buffer. But yes. if there's too many bad memories, you know, um, five to one, they say, the Gottman Institute says five to one. Five ah, to okay. one, you know, bad things. You've got to, to rub out one bad thing, you've got to do five good things. Yes, yes. Okay, I like that. So if, for people that are listening, you can, you can do a daily tally of that. I mean, in previous podcasts, I've talked about uh, my journaling technique, the high branch journaling technique and making sure that you have to-do items in each of the eight areas of life for that day. When it comes to the tree of love, it can be a nice text message. It can be, um, you know, buying a piece of fruit when you come home or it doesn't have to be a cliche flowers, doesn't have to be grand. 
It can be just those little things that create a memory for that day. So if you've done one bad thing, then it's good uh, from what Melissa just said that, well, now I have to do five, you know, five yeah. good things to drown yeah. that out. And I, I love that because that's tangible. You can do it. You can do it. It's five to one. And, and even little things, you know, it's really special when you can go up to your partner and say, I remember that you had an important meeting this morning as we were running out the door. You mentioned that. How did it go? Yes. You yeah. know, and, and it helps you feel seen because what do we all want? We want to be seen by our partner. We want to be seen by the one that loves us and, and knows us. Yes. And um, so little things, as you say, it doesn't have to be grand gestures, but, but really remembering something important that your partner might have had on that day and really saying, hey, come here, tell me what's, how it went. Yes, or can I run the bath for you? Or would exactly. you like a massage? Or mm. uh, would, uh, let's sit down and watch your favourite show. Mm. You know, um, mm. Stuff like that. You know, like talking to you, gives me so much like because um, as a lawyer you, you learn to be cynical you have to be right to yeah of course re reverse engineer things and preempt yes problems you have to think yes. of the worst yeah I, I encourage you, it i encourage it <laughs> yeah listening to you i think well why do we have divorce when it's so simple <laughs> yeah 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 i think can i answer that question please do yeah because it's not simple relationships are probably one of the hardest things in the world we all did not come from perfect families we've all got developmental gaps and and so when we come into relationship we are going to trigger each other we're going to trigger old pain we're going to trigger that time you know if someone has issues of abandonment or or significant loss or, or watching a lot of conflict, you know, are worse still if it's been abuse, you know, you come into relationship with all of that baggage, all the boyfriends and girlfriends before, everyone that broke your heart, all of that kind of stuff. And we kind of meet and say, hi, gee, we're a perfect match and you are going to fix all of my woes. You are going to heal heal me somewhat yes, and yes. we can't do that for each other because it's actually not humanly possible but what we can do is know each other's vulnerabilities know the sore spots if you're if you have a um partner who was abandoned as a child for whatever reason they will probably get triggered when you when they perceive you to abandon them so pay attention say hey yep, I did that wrong, or sorry, you were talking to me and I've, I've turned my back and I'm walking away, which yes. is all subtle things that we do. Absolutely. So, yeah. Is there, is there generational factors uh, at play here? Because obviously from what you've said, our upbringing has a lot, uh, shapes a, a big us. role. It shapes, mm -hmm. shapes us and then it shapes the relationship. And generationally, love and intimacy and you know, these beautiful little things that we want to show our partners now, they weren't that important, uh, you know, with previous generation. Because what you said struck a chord with me because I started thinking, well, my parents came from war-torn Lebanon. So mm -hmm. we, left, we left Beirut in the uh, early 70s. No, I was nine years of age. And during that, those early memories, I don't recall, like, they were so preoccupied with food shelter 
you know, raising us, taking us to school, you know, uh, cooking and all that. Survival, that's mm. right. And survival, but yet they they stayed together forever. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> my parents. Yeah. But there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a need for intimacy or affection. So, but now there is, right? Yeah. But I grew well, up with I grew up with that as my operating system for a relationship. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's right. But I think what would be important there is to, if you, if your parents were were alive, would be to ask them. I observed that you didn't need intimacy and affection. And I made an assumption that you were okay with that. Am I right? And I wonder what they would say. Yes, that's that's true. Now I, I mentioned that because for me it doesn't come naturally, so I have to be conscious of it. Well, it, it doesn't. I have to try. Yeah. I have to. I have to journal it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and there are um, probably lots of people that are listening with that sort of oh, history as well. Absolutely. There's a lot of the baby boomers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, you know, it's, it's kind of like we could go into this so, so deeply, but we come out of, out of our family and we generally are an attachment style. And those attachment styles can be secure attachment where relationship was valued. Relationship yeah. was first. Insecure, insecure attachment, which is more like an anxious, you know, an anxious attachment um, where maybe needs weren't met for everybody in the family. Um, which isn't always possible, but it does need to be considered. And then you've got more of an avoidant kind of attachment style, which is a little bit more of what you're describing, Sam. People who find it a little bit harder to be consistently close, maybe even the kind of person that gives a hug and says, okay, it's enough now, you know, and kind of, and kind of <laughs> needs to back, back off a little. And, and yes. The way I've just explained the attachment styles is really, you know, an overarching. It goes so much deeper than those small things that I, that I said. But I think everybody gets a sense of secure attachment, anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. And so when you go into relationship, knowing your partner's attachment style, if you do have a husband or a wife that says, oh, enough hugging now or I've got to get on with things, it's like, okay, we've had our hug and I'm going to let you go. And it's not personal. It's how you were brought up. Maybe you didn't have a family where people hugged a lot or relationship was put first. Maybe work was first or whatever. Someone exactly, being un yeah. unwell was first. Surviving yeah. was first if you're in a, a war-torn country. Yeah. Um, and so understanding your partner's attachment style is a real key. And I want to mention, you know, my, my training in this work is, by, is the psychobiological approach to couple therapy. And it was created by Dr. Stan Tacken, um, who I've trained extensively with. And he wrote the book called Wired for Love. And it talks about attachment system in very, very clearly and how to work with it in a, in, in a couple relationship because it's very, very key to pointing you in that direction of, of what we call secure functioning, which is like a secure attachment. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm actually going to get that book. It's great. Uh, yeah. Um, is uh, hearing you speak? I mean, we're we're talking about how our parents shaped our relationships now, but I've always uh, also thought of a relationship as an obligation to show your kids how a relationship should work. So it sets them up for their future relationships. Absolutely. Look, the problem, the problem with that is that we are human and, and 
we're going to get it wrong. This is why no one has a perfect childhood, you know, where we've all got, if we saw a father that reacted angrily, we're going to have watched that. And so, we, we, you know, we may tend to do it in our, in our relationship with our kids. What's great nowadays, and I think it's fantastic, is a level of consciousness people have, people's want to get it right as a parent, and also that we're more education, educated about development and child yes. development. And yeah. so some of these things that I'm talking about, what we need to do in relationship to keep the relationship going and keeping it on track, we also do need to do it with our kids. We do have to keep ourselves in check, you know, um, ranting and raving and, and, and all, all of that on a consistent basis is probably not great for your kids to see, particularly if you're arguing and, and things. And so I think it's an important thing but but I, I also want to always look at things with compassion and empathy that as parents we're you know we're living in a stressful world particularly at the moment we're probably going to get it wrong but I think you know trying to get it right as best we can is important but ju just remember you know and 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 when, with the whole conversation we're having here abuse is something different you leave those relationships we're not talking about those kind of relationships we're talking about everyday relationships conflict comes up parents get upset parents get depressed parents get anxious and so we can't we can our job is to do our best um but but i guess i just kind of put a little exclamations around that that it's not easy yes yes i yeah definitely so aim for progress in a relationship not perfection because you'll always yeah disappoint yourself if you aim for perfection exactly and you know even mm. trying to be a perfect parent to our kids it's, that's a lot of pressure on them to then be the perfect child you know and that's that's can set up some different problems some big ones too yeah absolutely but is is there a truth in um you know in the notion that if you have a daughter, then how you treat your, uh, if for a man, how you treat your wife is going to shape your daughter's view of what a relationship should Absolutely. look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it go for the other way around with the um, uh, mothers with boys? I think it does. I think it does, but it, 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 go, it goes both ways, but it needs to be real. You know, kids, kids if, if there's a whole lot of pretending, going on <laughs> yes kids are gonna pick, that's right kids are gonna <laughs> kids are gonna pick that up yeah. and then and then that's going to not connect with what they're seeing and what they're thinking and so that could then just really create confusion yes yes but overall yes those those exchanges that are positive the care the asking questions protecting each other protecting each other because remember it's a system and the couple system is you two against the outside you know we pair bond for a reason because we've got that significant other who will turn up at you know the uh, our, our funeral the bank if we're in trouble the lawyer <laughs> the morgue where, wherever you know yeah, someone that, that has your back. Yeah, exactly. That one yep. person that's always there for everything. Others can use excuses for that stuff, but your partner would want to be there when a parent dies. You know, yes. you can't say, oh, I'm busy at work. Yes. And people do, unfortunately. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I have heard some, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, horror stories of people that are, 
you know, have the intention, but they, they've been so enveloped by their work that they just can't see uh, what's going on in life. So they're and not there they, for their partner. They've probably come from a family, not, not always because we shape differently by so many things. But um, for some people, it can be ambition because they, they came from quite a poor background. For other people, they came from families where achievement was all that was recognised. Exactly. Success was all that was recognised. And that can, you know, that, that can have a profound effect on somebody because they don't learn that relationship is, is first, really. If you put relationship first and work second, you're probably going to fare a whole lot better, Morton. But when we're coming from survival, proving ourselves, all, all things that families do, success yeah. is often put at, at the top. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in society, really. Yeah, absolutely. In, in my book, A Higher Branch, I call it out, I say that, you should prioritise your health first, mm. your relationship with your partner second, mm. uh, your family third, and work is fourth. Yes, that's, um, and, that's, so, and that's, yeah, that's a, good, that's a put, good way of looking at it. Yeah, never put your work ahead of your family, ahead of your partner, yeah. ahead of your health. Yep. So if you're not feeling well, don't go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think in relation to, 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 to health being first, Personally, I'd flip it and I'd put the relationship first over health and I'll tell you why. If somebody puts their health only first and are putting all their energy into being the gym seven days a week, oh, four, yes. hours, four hours a day, yes. that's going to affect the relationship. It's fine if you've put the relationship first and you've had the conversation with your partner, hey, this is how much I want to exercise. Yes. Are you okay with that? And it's for yeah. my health because if I'm healthy, you, you get a healthy, a healthy, attractive partner, you know, and so we've kind of got a negotiation there. Yes. I'm, I'm so, glad you, you yeah. called that out because, mm. yeah, I, I have come across quite a few people who are totally obsessive about their, you know, exercise routines yeah. and gym memberships and that becomes a wedge between them and the relationship. Yeah, the type of health I'm talking about is, so for me, health, yeah. the three pillars is, uh, uh, you know, exercise, sleep and nutrition, but yep. I put sleep at the top of that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, uh, movement uh, second yep. and, uh, you know, nutrition uh, third, but there's a symbiotic relationship between yeah, the three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and absolutely. Sam, let me put it another way. Anything that's competing with the relationship is not good. Yes. Yep, that's, that's the perfect... Uh, hobbies, hobbies yep. children, in-laws, family, money, your, your, your gym, um, you know, addiction, drugs, alcohol, you know, anything that's competing with the relationship will not help with the longevity of that relationship. Absolutely. You mentioned in-laws there. Can we, can we talk a little sure. bit about then the, the impact that family pressures have on a relationship? Uh, you know, there's lots of families that meddle in a relationship. And uh, speaking from my personal experience with my first relationship, I've been married and divorced uh, before, uh, only once. <laughs> uh, and the, the families had a lot to do with that. There was yeah. a lot of meddling and I was yeah. too young to, to know how to deal with that. Do you get that? Oh, often? Sam. Big, big, big thing in my office is in All right, well, let's talk about and it family. Talk yeah, about it. very yeah. much. Look, it goes back to the same principle of putting the relationship first. So 
an example of that. I'll give you an example. We're going to a party and, and your auntie, let's say it's male and a female, let's do it that way. And the male's auntie every year says to the wife, oh, you've put on a few kilos, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're going to the party. If you're putting the relationship first, the husband says, you know, we know you haven't put on any kilos this year, but you know, Auntie Betty, she's always got something to say. So if she says that to you, what you and I are going to do, we're going to go over to the punch bowl and we're going to grab a drink. We're going to drink it and I'll make a deal with you. If she says another thing, we're leaving. Right, right, okay. So the idea is that you two together create the buffer and forecast who's got to be managed together within together. the family. Yes. And it's not easy to do. And why is it not easy to do? Because if it's your mum and dad that you're having exactly. problems with, it creates yeah. all kinds of problems. But I, in my experience, you know, I am able to teach couples how to do this and, and manage the external. Your what we call a couple bubble, having each other's back. You're a yes. system. You're like a little business. Yes. How do you two manage the outside, including parents? Do I protect you when my mum throws you under the bus? What do I say? And, and, if, and if you don't, if you don't protect each other, it's probably going to cost you in the long run. Yes, so put yourselves first is, yes. is the key and have and each other's back. Yep. And be kind and compassionate to the people around you. In the process. Yes. Yeah. It is easier said than done. Do you often get uh, your clients that call you <laughs> after they've experienced one of these family situations and say what do I do in this I'm so angry I don't know what to do yeah yeah well they'll come back to the session well if a client calls me outside a session and it's a couple I probably won't talk to them first of all I'll ask them right. to come in. I'll ask them to come in right and right. Okay. and um because we hold those boundaries that whatever goes on I'm not aligning with either person in any way and we and we we talk we talk it through and and we reevaluate what's important here well our relationship is important this is my new family. I've left my old family. This is the family that I need to have function so I can go out into the world and do all the things that I want to do and have the resources like I mentioned earlier. Yes. And so we bring it yeah. back to those basics. <clears throat> and this is, you know, not about cutting off from family because no one wants us to have to do that. But it is about having each other's back on really, really important issues such as in-laws. Yes, and a lot of a lot of boys from European backgrounds, they're very close to their mamas, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of that show, Everybody Loves Raymond. Did yeah. you ever watch that show? Yeah, I did, I did. It was, it was, you know, but sometimes I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I might reflect back to someone like, um, you know, a wife, a wife that says, my mum, my mum, my mum's more important. I love mum. Yeah. Okay, so I say, yeah. all right, so look at your partner. Tell him, my mum is more important than you. Wow. Okay, that would, <laughs> that would floor the partner. <laughs> and, but, but the thing about it is, Sam, is you're dealing with reality. 
You know, yes. it's, it's like, okay, let's not pretend it's something else. Yes, and most yes, people I, can't I do it. Most people can't do it. They can't do it. They say, no, actually, that's not true. And, and so then we're able to work with it differently. They say, no, mum's not over you because I want to be with you. Yes. And, and then that gives a new opening on how to work with it. I like that. Yeah, total transparency. Yeah. Yeah, yep. So why do people cheat in a relationship? Obviously, it's, it's not just, is it just family meddling? or And, and also with, during COVID, people, it's, it's like... Uh, like cheating, physically cheating is virtually impossible now, right? No one wants to take that risk, right? <laughs> no. So what is happening? Is cheating still there? Is it I think it's still there. Ways? I mean, people are still cheating virtually or through their inbox or, you know, totally. What do people do? Cyber, cyber sex and sexting and all of that kind of stuff, which all comes under the umbrella of cheating. Unless, so what constitutes cheating then? Well, it's an interesting question because it depends on what agreement you've got with your partner. Okay. You know, some people can have, a, have an agreement with, you know, if you occasionally flirt with someone at a party and you come home really happy with me, I'm okay with that. Right, right. Okay. okay? You, you, you're more exciting when I've seen another person attracted to you, whatever. So you might have those agreements between the two of you. Now, most people don't, okay? But I want to kind of qualify what I might think is cheating may not be what other people think is cheating. And it's for those kinds of reasons. Because couples, we know there's, you know, um, so many different ways. Not everybody wants monogamous relationships. Yes. You know? And um, so, you know, a couple needs to have the security and safety to be able to deal with that. But I, but I think... In terms of cheating, you know, I think some of those things I mentioned, there, there is emotional cheating. It doesn't have to be a sexual where you somewhat feel connected to someone else other than your partner. That, that in my books, would be classed as an infidelity. And is that gender specific? Because I'm thinking a lot of males would think that, hey, cheating is not that. I mean, you, you remember the, the famous words by... Uh, BC, who said, I did not have sexual relations with mm, that woman. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, but then you have, um, uh, do females see it differently? Do they say, well, even, you know, winking at that lady or, you know, touching her on the hand or whatever? Well, I, think, I don't think anything that you just said there, Sam, is gender specific. I think that they're both sides can feel either oh, of, those, good. of those things yep. um, in, a, in a big yep. way. And, um, and, you know, and the idea sometimes that men cheat more than women actually is not true. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly close from the st statistics I have seen. Um, and, and so I, 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 you know, I'm a bit of an advocate for, for, for men in that, in that way because it's very yeah. easy to kind of say, oh, it's the, it's the guys. It's not always the guys. Um, and, is, it uh, the, is it the case that women are just better at it? Yeah, uh, well, well, they might get away with it better because they're better yeah. at multitasking and all of that kind of things. That's more of a brain thing. They might be better at it. Um, but, but the reasons for why people cheat, for some people it can be that attachment style I talked about. If you've got a more avoidant style, you may be more oh, vulnerable, yes. vulnerable to cheating because closeness with one person is difficult. Yes, yes. You, you may have come from um, observing it as being okay in your family of origin. 
you know mum always let dad get away with it or dad let mum get away with it yes yeah. you know and it's like so long as you get away with it well then that makes it okay yes <laughs> you know um for some people it is actually a mental health issue like addiction let's yeah. say people use drug and alcohol to regulate themselves an affair can do the same thing remember those hormones i talked about they're pretty powerful and yeah and it can be a form of yeah. escapism as well from um yeah pet mortgages and financial yeah. hardship stress and, stress. And stress people stress. Will use it to reduce stress some people it's just opportunity unfortunately right yep yeah very good point so i think knowing what your partner's attachment styles is uh, a very important part of this it discussion is. so what was the name of that book again it's it called wired wired for love for love yes and tatkin and he he labels the um attachment styles as the anchor the wave and the island so he approaches it the island being more avoidant the wave being more anxious and um the anchor being the secure attachment and right. and he, he explains what each of them look like because uh, you know we haven't got a lot of time for me to go into that um but he he explains very much maybe it maybe it's another podcast one day so. absolutely yeah yes. yeah and um but it but it's a really important component when people understand this and don't use the labels against each other because that's not what it's for it's to understand each other it can be so helpful in understanding why your partner can't argue with you for hours it's yes. simply too much for them yes and we've, we, got, we've to get, got to get better at this it's kind of like as a couple we've got to get better at this because i know you're 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 an island and and arguing for hours on end till five o'clock in the morning is not what you want to do whereas a wave style they'll they'll they'll, they'll do it all night <laughs> they'll, they'll argue, with, <laughs> argue with you for hours and hours and hours yes yes yeah <laughs> Um, I just a few people came to mind <laughs> asking for a friend, Sam. <laughs> now, um, when, when should couples seriously consider seeing a therapist, and why is there such a stigma attached to it? As I said, you, you go to the dentist when you have a toothache, you go to the you know, see a PT to get fit. Uh, isn't a relationship more important than those things? It's kind of a, a thing in society that we're meant to just be good at it. <laughs> you know, we're meant to just know what to do in relationships. Well, where does that come from? Where, where does I, that... I, well, I be, it's a good question. I, it just seems to be a society norm that love will keep us together. Love will, will see us through. Love is the answer. We shouldn't have to try hard at love. You know, and whereas yeah. I, as I said earlier, it's a doing, you've got to do it. You've got to, it's a verb. It just doesn't, you know, when people just say I fall out of love, I think it's a bit of a cop out actually. Well, I, I couldn't help but think of all the, the romanticizing of love uh, in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Right. In yeah. music. I mean, uh, you know, pop culture really shapes. Storybooks. Societies. Yeah, storybooks Cinderella as well. and, and, and men on white horses. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like it's all it's all BS. It really is, and and it and it's. I didn't read them to my daughter actually. I, I read other things because um, I think it's not useful because love is so far from that. And you know, relationship yeah. is so the love bits a bit like that, but the actual job of relationship is is not is not like that. And I think as a society, if we could get to understand this, we would have such a better world because the fantasy stuff, it's really causing a lot of problems. Because what do people do? Oh, well, I'll just go and find another. I'll find another that will, will fulfill the fantasy. And then where do people find themselves back in the same thing again? Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that you called that out. And I love that you... Uh, you did that with your daughter that you didn't yeah. uh, read those, uh, you know, fantastical uh, warped yes, <laughs> view they are. They of what are. relationships are. And that's yeah. a beautiful way to end this uh, incredible interview. <laughs> so I can't believe it's been uh, an hour and a few minutes now. <laughs> oh, which no. is, uh, and I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have you back and do a Great. deep dive into some of these. In the yeah. meantime, I'm going to get that book wide for love. And, yeah. Uh, do some research uh, about it. Melissa, just thank you so much from giving from the heart. Oh. That was just, you were so generous with your information and there was a lot of amazing takeaways. Oh, that's great. I, I'm always glad to hear that. I really am. Thanks for asking me, Sam. I, I always feel so honoured to be asked. So thank you. No, absolutely. The no, honour is definitely ours and the oh. pleasure. And I, I can tell you there's a lot of people that are listening now and I'm sure uh, what you said uh, will now or maybe sometime in the future make a huge difference. So keep doing what you're doing. Oh, Love thanks. your work. I will. Thank you. And you too. Thank you. Awesome. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch, and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time <laughs>